Chapter 36 of The Gray Man. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dylan Sedentoff, San Rafael, California. The Gray Man by S.R. Crockett. Chapter 36 The Defense of Castle Ilsa. Now the Isle of Ilsa is little more than a great lumping crag set askew in the sea. Nevertheless, it has both landing place and pasturage, house of refuge and place of defense. The island was not new to me, for I had once upon a time gone thither out of curiosity after the matter of Barclay, laird of Ladyland, who, in his madness, thought to make it a place of arms for the papists in the year of the Spanish Armada, but was prevented and slain at the instance of Andrew Knox, one of the good reforming name, Minister of Paisley. This last was a wonderfully clever man and accounted a moving preacher, but on this occasion he showed himself a better fighter, which upon Craig Elsa, at least, is more to the purpose. It was the dusk of the morning when we ran into the spit of shingle which is upon the eastern side and, watching our chance, we drew the boat ashore. The sea was chill and calm, only a little ruffled by the night wind, and the sun was already brightening the sky to the east, so that the Bine Hill and Brown Carrick stood black against it. With great stealth and quiet we climbed up the narrow path, seeing nothing, however, save a pasturing goat that sprang away as we came near. It was eerie enough work, for the seabirds clanged around us, yammering and chunnering querulously among themselves on the main cliffs at the farther side of the isle. It grew a little lighter when we came out upon the narrow path which leads to the castle. Suddenly the dark door of the tower loomed before us, very black and grim. I declare it was like marching up to the cannon's mouth to walk up that little flight of stairs which led to the door in the wall. Nevertheless, I clambered first, with a curious pricking down my back and a slackness about the knees. So all unscathed, we entered. There was only emptiness in all the chambers. The castle had been almost wholly ruined and spoiled, for since its taking by the Protestant party it had not been touched nor put in defense. "'Now I will bring up the provender. Keep you the castle,' said I to the little dominie, as soon as we were certified that we were the first in possession. So I went down and made first one backload and then another of those things which we had bought at Gervan and placed in the boat. I brought up also all the ammunition for the hack-butt and the pistols.' Before I had finished, the sky grew gray and clear, the day breaking nobly with only a rack of cloud racing up the far side of Kilbrannan Sound to hang upon the chill shark's teeth of the mountains of Arran. Upon my return, I was glad to find the castle intact, and the little man seated calmly with a book in his hand. "'Did you never so much as shut the outer door?' I asked him. "'And shut you without,' said he. "'Is it likely?' You might have had to come along that footpad with only your limber limbs to keep your tail, and Tam a Dormerchi or Sawny Bean jumping a hintia. So before we went to examine the nooks and crannies of the crag for either enemies or treasure boxes, we resolved to put the castle in as good a state of defense as we could. First, we drew in the rough wooden steps which led to the door in the wall by which we had entered, so that only the little projections whereon the wood had rested were left to afford any foothold to a besieger. Then we closed and barricaded the door, for the huge iron bolt was yet in its place and ran securely into the stone of the wall itself for quite two feet. 
when the day finally broke, I went up to the turret top to look about me. Save us! I cried down to the little man. Come hither, Dominie. Is not that our boat out there with men in her? The Dominie ran up and looked long and earnestly. Aye, deed it is, he made answer. We are trapped, Lancelot, for all our cleverness. And if these chills be our enemies, I doubt that we are as good as dead men in the jaws of the wolf of Dermurchie. The men in the boat kept leaning back and looking up at the cliffs as if to get sight of something. Sometimes they went completely out of view, as it had been close into the bulk of the isle, mayhap to examine more carefully some cave or lurking place. "'We had better look well to our priming and set a watch,' said I. "'We shall have visitors this day at Castle Ilsa, or my name is not Lancelot Kennedy.' But the hours passed slowly on, from nine till noon, before we heard a sound, or saw a living creature beside the geese and the gulls. After the boat had gone westward out of sight, we waxed weary at our posts on the top of the turret. There I was, rooting and exploring, when I heard the Dominie whispering loudly to me to run up hastily into the tower. He told me how that a stone had come pelting against the wall on the side towards the hill. Now the castle sits on the verge of the precipice, and only a narrow path leads to it along the cliff. But behind there was a little courtyard to landward, now mostly ruined and broken down. It was from this side, so Dominie Muir whispered to me, that the stone had come. "'Tut, man,' said I, "'you are losing your nerve with this playing of hide-and-seek. "'It was but a billy-goat's foot that spurned it, "'and so naturally it came bumming down the hillside.' "'Then,' he replied grimly, "'it was a billy-goat as big as an elephant, "'and it will ding over this castle into the sea, "'for no ordinary goat could have stirred the stone I saw. "'I tell you it popped over the cook like a cannonball.' "'But we were soon to have company besides that of the stone.' For presently there came in sight a man walking daintily and carefully along the path which led to the door of the tower. Now he would pull wantonly at a flower, and anon he would skip a stone over the cliff, for all the world as if it were a Sabbath afternoon, and he was waiting for his lass. But I knew better, for I heard his harness clattering under his loose coat of blue. "'Where gang ye so blithely, my bonny man?' cried the dominie suddenly from my elbow. The man started back and set his hand beneath his cloak. But the dominie cried, "'Keep awa your hand for your hip, young man. "'You may need it to preserve your balance on the footpath, "'and give me your attention for a wee.' "'The man did as he was bid, "'and cast his eye aloft, "'where the black mouth of a hackbutt "'looked discouragingly down upon him. "'Your name, friend?' said the dominie. "'I am James Carrick from the parish of Bar,' "'said the man at last. "'Aye, aye, slee Jamie.' "'Dormurchie's man,' said the dominie with meaning. "'When the man is pooin' goins and skitin' slate stones, "'the mester is no far awa. "'No, James, e'en turn you aboot and gang your ways, "'and tell your master that his black murder is found out, "'and that there are those on their way to this isle "'that will put the iron on his heels.' "'So the man, who had called himself James Carrick, "'turned obediently about, and marched away the road he had come. Probably he had been sent for nothing more than to know if we had stolen a march upon them and taken possession of the strength of the castle. They had our boat. There was no question of that. We were, therefore, set here with only two backloads of powder and provision to stand a siege in a small and ruinous tower upon a barren cliff. Nor was it long before we had news of the enemy, for as we strolled up and down the battlement walk, which is as common in such little fortalices, 
went round three sides of the tower, that is, round every side except that which looks inward to the cliff edge, a number of scattering shots came from all about, but chiefly from above. We could hear them whistling over us as we ducked our heads. We got ready our guns to fire in return so soon as a man showed, but the many boaters and rocky humps about gave the enemy great shelter, so that it was no easy thing to take aim at them. However, I did get a steady shot at an incautious leg, and on the back of the crack of the hackbutt came a great torrent of swearing, and this I took for a good sign. All we could do was to keep the little courtyard clear, and to shoot whenever we saw a bonnet rise up or a limb carelessly exposed. But we both yearned for something more lively to put an end to our suspense. Nor had we long to wait. From the east side of the tower, which looks to the sea, there came the sound of a loud report, a tumble of stones, and then a loud, continual, and most pitiful crying, as of a man hurt unto death. I ran up into the battlements above and set my head through a loophole. Beneath me lay a fine-looking young man, with his red bonnet fallen aside, clad in a short white coat, with doublet and hose also of red. He was unarmed so far as I could see. "'Who are you and what brought you here?' I cried to him from the turret loop. A massy cornerstone had fallen from the castle and lay on his chest, and a pile of other rocks and stones was heaped about his legs. He turned his eyes upward at me and tried twice to speak. At last he said with many pants and piteous groans, "'I am Alan Crosby from Ochneil. I brought you a letter from my lord Castellus. I landed below and came up by the path, but when I got near I heard firing and saw the door shut. So I tried to clamber up the castle wall to cry in at the window to you, because you were my friends. And even as I climbed, the stones of the castle fell upon me, and now they are crushing the life out of me.' "'Where is the letter from my lord?' said I. The man cast his eyes about him as if to look for it. "'I had it in my hand just now,' he said. I saw a scrap of parchment a little way from him and asked if that were the letter. "'Tie it to a cord for me,' said I, "'that I may see it.' But by reason of his wounds he was not able to reach it, and the stones pressed so bitterly on his breast that he could do nothing but lie and groan most worsomely. "'Oh, help me, or else end my misery, for the love of God!' he cried earnestly. "'For I am at the point of death in this agony!' I went all round the top of the tower and looked about every way. Our enemies had retired further up the cliff, and were contenting themselves with firing an occasional shot, which fell harmless against the walls, buzzed among the battlements, or else sang past us into the sea. I called the Domine. "'Come to the door,' said I. I cannot bide still and see that poor man suffer. He says that he has come with a letter from my lord Cassilis. It may be so. I will at least go and see. Dormerchi's thieves have gone up the face of the rock, and the wounded man cannot hurt me much, even if he were willing. Then the domine pled with me to bide where I was. Because, said he, you know not whether it be not an ambush. I cannot let a fellow creature be crushed to pieces before my eyes and abide to hear his death cries, I answered. Come down and hold you the door open. So with that, I undid the bolts and put the domine behind it. I set my feet upon the jutting stones on which the wooden stair usually rested, and so scrambled perilously down, holding on the wall with my right hand the while. When I came to him, the lad was lying gasping on his back with the stones edgewise on his breast. I asked how he did. 
He seemed past speech, but was able to motion me round to the further side. There I stooped gently in order to raise the great block that lay upon his bosom. I stepped carefully about and turned my body to render him my aid as tenderly as I could, but I got a sudden and terrible surprise, and though I am not one much given to fear, I own that it shook my heart. Even as I stooped over him, the fellow flung off the stones as if they had been featherweights, leaped upon his own feet with a bended pistol in his hand, and stood in front of me, striding across the path which led back again to the castle door. At the same moment I heard a loud shout of warning from the dominie that the enemy were again coming down the brae. I had no time to draw my dagger, and for greater lightness I had left my sword behind. I saw the rascal make him ready to fire at me, aiming at my heart. So I remembered the French trick of high kicking which Robert Harburg had once taught me, for he had been in France at the schools with his master the Earl, and had learned much there besides philosophy. So I gave the fellow my foot, shod with toe plates, full upon his wrist, which knocked the pistol up against his chin with a stunning crash. In the next moment I leaped at his throat and overbore him, spurning him with my heel as I passed. I can remember leaping upon him with all my weight from the top of one of the very stones the traitor had pulled down upon himself. Then I ran fleet foot for the entrance of the castle. Others of the enemy were just coming about the corner when I reached the projecting points of stone. With my heart in my mouth I sprang up the little juts of rock. I was almost within and in safety, but I had not counted upon the swiftness and resource of my gentleman of the fallen stone. He was hard upon my heels in spite of the thundering clout he had gotten on the jaw from the pistol. But luckily my brave little friend the dominie stood ready behind the door, and as soon as my hindmost foot was over the threshold, he set his strength to the iron handle and sent the massy oak home to its fastenings with such force that it struck the pursuer fair on the face with a stunning crash. As a stone is driven from a sling, so he fell whirling over the stair head, and, unable to stop himself, he went, gripping vainly at the rockweeds, headlong over the cliff. This, however, being behind the door and fully employed in securing it, we did not know at the time. But when we hurried up again to the top of the tower, we saw the enemy swarming down the cliffside to render him some assistance, or it might be to recover his body. "'Ask him when you get him if he has another letter from my lord the earl,' cried the dominie after him. "'And serve him right well, the treacherous hound,' muttered the little man to himself, "'if you find him in pound pieces.' But I said nothing, for I thought the fellow would mind the kick that I gave him. That night, Thomas of Dramurchi and all his folk removed from the cave where till now they had dwelt. They went over in our boat and in that of James Bannantyne of Chapeldon into the mainland, being frightened, as I guess, by our declaration that there were those coming who would deliver them to justice, and also being dismayed, as I make no doubt, by our staunch and desperate defense. Thus, we were left alone on the muckle-weary rock which men call Ilsa, and which thousands of free men and women look at every day without a thought of the poor prisoned folk upon it. End of chapter 36. Recording by Dylan Sedentoff, San Rafael, California.